Well, for those of you who might be new here this morning, my name is Ron Cole, and I am one of the pastors here as well. This summer, what we've been doing is we've been working our way through a letter written by Peter, one of the disciples of Jesus, one of the close disciples. Peter, James, and John were the three closest to Jesus. And so Peter wrote this letter to some people in what is present-day Turkey. He was in Rome, and he wrote it to people who were in Turkey. And we've said that the main situation, really, the main kind of way to understand those people to whom Peter was writing is that they were under pressure. They were under pressure. There were not a lot of Christians in the world at this time, and the Christians really stood out, and and the Roman Empire was strong, and the Roman religions were strong, and so there was this strong push on there, and and so the Christians were feeling pressure, pressure to fit in, pressure to do what everybody else was doing, pressure to to, to compromise their faith in in little ways and and later on in big ways, and so they felt that, that pressure to conform, the pressure to be like everybody else, the pressure just to go along so you could get along. They also just felt the pressure of life that we all feel, that pressure of, 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 of relationships and family and, 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 and of finances and all of that stuff. They were living under this pressure. And so what Peter does is he wants to talk to them about how you live under pressure. And the first thing that he did in the first part of the letter was he challenged us to remember how special we are in Christ. If you were here with us, you might remember we talked about the fact that we were chosen by God, that he loved us enough, that we were chosen, that we are priests, that that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And wherever we go, we have the opportunity to bring the presence of Jesus to all of those places, that, that we are a priesthood. And we talked about being bought with the blood of Jesus. And we talked about all of these things of just how special we are in Christ. Peter is saying, you know, the world may not think you're much. The world may treat you like you're dirt. But let me tell you this, in Christ, you are loved and you can have security. And then out of that, Peter says, then I want to challenge you then in this world to submit and do good. In the second part of the letter, what Peter has been talking about here, and we're right at the end of this, but what Peter has been saying is because Jesus Christ is taking care of you, now you can love others. Now you can serve others. Now you can submit to others. And he talks about marriages and husbands and wives serving each other. And he talks about work situations where, where workers and employers are, are serving, uh, the, the, that they're serving each other. And he talks about the government and how we're called to submit and do good. And, and, and that, last, that last part of that, doing good, I want to focus on a little bit because Peter uses that word a lot. That word that's translated as do good. In fact, by this point in the letter, he's already used it four different times. He's already challenged the church four different times. You've got to do good. You've got to serve. You've got to give yourself out. You've got to pour yourself out. That's what Jesus calls us to do, to, to do good. The passage Daniel looked at last week said this, Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, do good, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay, repay evil with blessing. And then he says, Those who want to walk with God, they must turn from evil, and there's the phrase again, do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. And, and, and so over and over again, Peter is saying, You've got to do good. You've got to do good. That as followers of Jesus Christ, what we do, and, and I think for Peter, long before we speak, long before we say anything, what we do is we serve, and we seek the best for those who are around us. That's what he's talking about, about doing good. We seek the best for those who are around us. And so we're going to wrap up this section of the letter, and, and, and I think what it ends with in, is this, in these words that we're going to look at today is this, that, that Peter wants to challenge us to keep doing good, whether people like it or not. 
Keep doing good. He's, he's called us to do good. He's called us to serve. And the challenge he has for us this morning is to say, you know what, do this and don't let somebody else determine whether you're going to do good to them or not. And it's fairly easy to do good to somebody who does good to you, right? If, if you're going to treat me well, it's fairly easy for me to treat you well. But the challenge, Peter says, is to do good to others when they don't like it. To do good to others when they respond to your goodness and your service by mistreating you and treating you harshly, treating you badly, all right? So let's take a look at that this morning. And, and, and kind of the question that drives this is, is what happens? What happens when we do good? Peter gives two answers. The first one is fa- fairly short. The second one is longer, so don't get your hopes up when we're done with the first one. We're not halfway, all right? So two things that happen when we do good. One, one possibility of this is this. And, and, and this is an interesting one, even though it's the shorter one. But, but the fact is, Peter makes clear, sometimes people will like it. Sometimes when we do good, when we follow Jesus Christ, when we behave in a Christ-like way, people appreciate it. People notice it. There's still something about goodness that is attractive to people. I mention that because I think there's something inside many of us, I know I at least have some of this, that says, well, you know, the world is this horrible place, and, and non-Christians are these people who, who, if you really act like Jesus, they'll hate you. If you really do nice to them, they'll hate you. And, and if you're not hated, in fact, I've said it in this series, that sometimes we have to be nervous when we get along too well with others. We have to ask ourselves, are we compromising? And that's true. But the fact is, Peter wants us to know, sometimes when we do good, people just like it, and they appreciate it, and they treat us well. Look at what he says, first verse we're looking at, 1 Peter 3, verse 13. He says, Who's, who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? It's a rhetorical question. The implied answer is nobody. Peter says, come on, do good. If you do this, you're going to get along well with others. If you do this, people are going to respect it. And like I say, there's something in me that needs to be challenged with this because because we so often, and, and I think we sometimes don't realize the damage we do to our Christian witness, but we so often talk like, well, if you try to do something good, if you try to do something right, everybody's going to hate you. You know, no good deed goes unpunished. That's simply not true. The fact of the matter is, sometimes people see goodness and they say, I want to be more like that. I was thinking about this this past week. I'm listening to sports talk radio, uh, not because I like to, but because I need to stay connected to guys in the congregation. But listening to, I don't know if it was, I think it was Mike and Mike in the morning. Um, and, and, and they were talking about Kirk Cousins. Some of you know who Kirk Cousins is. He's quarterback now for the Washington Redskins, second-string quarterback in the National Football League. But he graduated from Holland Christian, went to Michigan State University, decided he didn't want to go to college, so he went to Michigan State. Just kidding. Okay, just seeing if you're awake. Some of you are. Okay, I love Michigan State. Go Sparty. Um, go Wolverines. Everybody but the Buckeyes. Sorry, those of you from Ohio. Anyway, um, but, but, but they were talking about Kirk Cousins. And Kirk Cousins... It's just one of the most solid Christian guys. I mean, he's given speeches. He gave a speech at the Big Ten Conference that you can still catch on YouTube. But I'll tell you, he called, he just, just, and he just is a good guy. And they were talking, and not just saying he's a good quarterback, but they were saying, you know, this is a good guy. This is the guy you'd want your daughter to marry. This is a guy that you would want, you know, I mean, he is such a solid guy. And I thought, you know, Kirk Cousins is not being persecuted for being a Christian. You know, Tim Tebow takes some grief, but the fact is Tim Tebow is still recognized as a really good guy, and there's something in our culture that still does recognize that. 
And, and, and we need to, to be honest about that. I, I worry sometimes that, that as Christians, we claim we're being persecuted when we're not. In fact, Peter goes on to say, um, you know, he goes on to say that we have to make sure that if we do suffer, it's because of Jesus, not because of our own sinfulness and foolishness. Yeah, I, I, again, we sometimes get that idea. I mean, when Thad is talking here this morning and he talks about getting beat up because he's living in, in West Jackson, Mississippi, there's a part of me that says, man, I wish I could get beat up, you know, because then I'd be a real Christian. And... But the fact is, in West Michigan, I've got a higher odds of getting beat up because I'm an idiot than I do because I'm a Christian. And that might happen. I mean, who knows? That, that's, that's got some real distinct possibilities. But, but Peter knows that, that when we talk about this and we say, yeah, sometimes we suffer for following Jesus Christ, that we'll say, well, then I can know I'm a good disciple because people are going to make me suffer. I don't know if you picked it up in the news, but there was an interesting story this past week, still going on now as far as I know. And all my information is from the news, a Christian news source, but I'm not sure if I have the whole story straight. But here, here's the situation. There are two guys who are starting a, started a trial last week, Monday, two Christians, and uh, they, they started a trial. Here's what happened. They, um, they went to the Department of Motor Vehicles, right, the Secretary of State's office, and uh, they were 40 feet away from the door, and in the morning, before it opened up, as people were lining up to go in, you know how that is, you, you want to get out first so you get in line half an hour early. So uh, as people were lining up to go in, they started reading scripture, just reading the Bible. And, and somebody came out and said, you know, you can't do that here. And they said, yes, we can, this is free speech. And so they kept on reading the Bible. They called the police and the police said, you can't do this here, you got to leave. And they said, yes, we can, it's free speech. And they got arrested. Their trial just started last Monday. Now, they are saying, this is what this country has come to. We are being persecuted as Christians. But you know what they got arrested for? Let me tell you the law, and I happen to think it's a really good law, and I think they should have obeyed it. What, they're, what, they're, what the law was is the um, captive audience law is what it's known as. Okay? What that means, if I'm in a place where I'm a captive audience, and the DMV is a captive audience because nobody goes unless they have to right? I mean, I have to get my license renewed next March, and I will get in line, and I will have to stand there. I don't have, but when somebody is a captive audience, some of your free speech rights go out. And think about it here. I mean, put yourself in these shoes. Jesus himself said, do to others as you would have them do to you. Think about it. If I'm at this, I'll go to Rogers Plaza probably over there. If I'm standing in line and a Jehovah Witness comes up to me, he says, this guy's going to have to stand here and listen to me for the next half hour. I'm going to be like, no, this is not fair. I can't get out of line because I've got to renew my license. And it's not fair for this guy to just monopolize my time. It's a good law, friends. These guys are not being religiously persecuted. It's their own foolishness in my view, okay? I, do you see the difference? Do you see the difference? Sometimes we claim, and I think we as Christians lose a lot of face. Appropriately, we should lose face. But we claim, oh, we are so persecuted. <sighs> We are facing some pressure. Okay, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But let's be honest, for the most part in West Michigan, for the most part in the United States, we, it's okay. We receive, people like it when we do good. And, and, and we have to recognize that, okay? We have to admit that. Sometimes it's, 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 it's okay. People will like it. Again, where does Peter say this? Worry about the other stuff. First Peter 3.17, he says, For it is better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Uh, again, back to 2.20, But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? That's what Peter is saying there. You've got to be careful. He says, D don't make sure that if, if you're being persecuted it's because you're so much like Jesus not because you're such an idiot okay and I think that's a good question for all of us to ask am I facing this pressure because I'm really trying to do the right thing 
or am I being obnoxious? And if it's being obnoxious, then stop it and be like Jesus, okay? So sometimes people will like it. We need to just recognize that, all right? Now the second part, and again, like I said, we're not halfway to home. Don't get worried about it, all right? So sometimes people will like it, but then Peter goes on to say, sometimes they won't. It's, it's interesting. He says, you know, who's going to harm you? Nobody. Well, maybe some. Maybe some. First Peter 3.14. But even if you should suffer for doing what is right, even if you should suffer for doing what is right, and sometimes we face that. Now, Let's, let's think about what that means for us, okay? In Peter's day, it was clear and it was growing stronger, okay? I don't think they were in a, a real active state of persecution here or Peter wouldn't have said what he did in verse 13. But what about us? Most of us have never faced direct persecution. Can we just be honest about that? I think, again, Daniel and Felicia, you guys know some things about real persecution of being in a, a communist setting when, when you're a Christian and so on. Uh, the rest of us, uh, when Gritter, maybe a few others, but most of us, you haven't lost your job because you're a Christian. You haven't, m- maybe, maybe it's growing, but for the most part, but I do want to say we do face pressures and, and, and some struggles, and these are the things I want you to think about. Times when you're going to be tempted to stop doing good, stop caring about others. Think about it again in work situations and so on, when you say, I want to try to do the right thing, but it's hard. Sometimes it's hard because people make it difficult. For example, being patient in a bottom line world. Think of your work situation. Um, the fact is sometimes, you know, you're, you're there in your, your customer service or whatever it is, and, and, and the boss is, you know, come on, got to get stuff done, got to get stuff done. And somebody comes along and they're a little slower, okay? Somebody comes along and they don't, you know, and, and the Christian part of you is saying, I, I, I want to just be patient. I want to just take the time. But you know that your coworkers, your boss, come on, man, we got to get the job. They got to get the numbers. We got to get this thing done. We don't have time to be nice to everybody. We don't have time to, and you feel that pressure. You feel that pressure saying, how do I balance this? How do I, I mean, some of you guys who run businesses, you know what it's like. I'd like to be patient. I'd like to listen to your struggles. (laughs) You have an employee. I'd like to take the time to talk to you. But I do have to make some money here because otherwise we all lose our jobs and that's not a good thing. But, But you feel that pressure. That pressure of saying, how do I keep people at the center and recognize people are more important than things, but I still have responsibilities in a bottom line world. Telling the truth. Telling the truth. Imagine you're in high school and and you go out with a bunch of buddies, you do a dumb thing, right? You do something dumb. Nobody finds out about it, but then the principal calls you in and is having a conversation and says, you know anything about this? And you spill the beans. You think your friends are going to celebrate that? We're so thankful you were like God there. <laughs> we're so thankful you did the right thing. Thank you for telling on us. You ain't going to get that, right? What are you going to get? You're going to get, no, man. You're going to be tempted to say, I'm not going to do the right thing because I know if I do this, I know if I tell the truth in this situation, I know my buddies are going to get angry at me. I know my buddies. It happens. Sometimes we know that telling the truth is not going to get us in trouble. I mean, it's going to get us in trouble maybe, but it's also going to get people angry at us. That's what I'm thinking about here. Sexual purity. Turn 21 on your secular college campus, maybe your Christian college campus, but turn 21 and announce to all your buddies you're still a virgin. You don't think you're going to get some pressure? You don't think they're going to say, come on, we've got to solve this problem. You're 21. Let's take care of this issue. That's just weird. You're the only one I know. I can't believe it. And if you commit yourself to that, this is one of the places Tebow gets loved and hated, right? I mean, he's been on record as saying, whatever, he's now 24, 25 years old. He said, I'm saving myself for the person I'm married to. 
You don't think in a locker room he doesn't get a lot of grief from men who are men? It can be tough to do the right thing. Loving the unborn and their moms. Think of the young people from this church who went down to Omega House. Just praying, just loving. And they take some pressure. Race reconciliation. Anyway, all this, sometimes people don't like it when we do good. And, 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 and we can be tempted. Because of that pressure, we can be tempted not to do it. And, and, and so what we need to do is... Um, is we need to ask ourselves, what do we do? How do we do that? And I want to go through, there are five things here, and I'm going to go through them fairly quickly. But just kind of five things that Peter throws out. And, and what they do is they help us to say, I'm going to keep doing good even though it's really tough. I'm going to keep doing the right thing even though it's really tough. Five things. First one, fairly brief. But just know that we're blessed when we suffer for Jesus. Okay? First Peter 3.14. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. I wish Peter would have unpacked that. <laughs> I wish Peter would have said, well, what kind of a blessing are you talking about? When is it going to happen? What does it look like? Peter doesn't tell us. But he does say that when we love others and when we serve others, when you go to work and you're nice to that boss who's nasty to you, there is a blessing somehow for you. It might be just the blessing of knowing that you're doing what God wants you to do. It might be just the blessing of knowing that God is smiling on you. I'm not saying it's money or anything like that. But somewhere there in there, there is a blessing. And, and so when you find yourself tempted to say, I'm going to compromise here. I'm not going to do good for this person because I know they're not doing good for me. Say, no, you know what? I'm going to do it. Not because they deserve it. Again, the challenge for us is, is, is don't let that person stop you from doing good. Not because they deserve it, but because God will bless me. Because somehow I know God's face will smile on me. And his smile is enough to keep me going. All right, Peter doesn't unpack it, so let's just leave it there. Second one I want to unpack a little bit more. But Peter says, you know what? When you feel that pressure, don't be afraid. When you feel that pressure, don't be afraid. And, and, and I don't know why God's been doing this to me, but it, I've been running into this a lot the last few weeks. So I want to just take a couple of moments here to think about this. And, and, and what, what I've been challenged with in, in about three different contexts by people and, and one by a book, but by people, is to really think about this. And I, and I, and I think there's some truth to it. This is not babble. This is biblical stuff. I think that most of the time when I misbehave, when I, when I get angry at somebody, when I don't treat somebody well in a relationship, the root cause is fear. The root cause is fear. I get angry because I'm afraid. Not afraid I'm going to get beat up. I, I mean, you know, I'm not in a situation like that. I'm not afraid I'm going to get beat up. But you know what? I am afraid that you're not going to respect me. Or I'm afraid that I'm going to get it wrong. Or I'm afraid that I just don't know what's going to happen, and so I've got to cut this off. I'm afraid, I'm afraid that you're going to discover that I'm a failure. Do you know how much I do out of fear? I'm afraid of something, and I come off, and I get angry, and I attack those around me. I'm afraid of what's going to happen if I let you see who I really am. I don't know. I just want to really challenge you to think about how much of your life is driven by fear. I mean, again, for these Christians, that would have been, they could have been afraid. In, in, in years, in, in, in 20 years after this letter is written, they're going to start to face fear of losing their lives. But even at this point, there is so much. I'm afraid I'm going to lose my job so that I can't can't pay for my kids. I'm afraid that I'm going to look like a loser. I'm afraid, you know how much I do out of fear that my life isn't going to make a difference? That, That I'm just going to miss opportunities. And I do so much out of fear. And Peter comes along and says, but even if you should suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. 
Don't be frightened. More than a hundred times in the Bible, that command is given. Don't be afraid. So I say this is biblical, not psychological. This is biblical. In some ways, if you count it up, you can get over 300, depending on the words that you include. But 300 times, God says, Ron, don't be afraid. Because God knows how often I am driven by fear. I'm not a scaredy cat. Like I said, when I first started hearing this, I was kind of like, yeah, I'm not driven by fear. But as people have pushed me, I said, but Ron, why are you, what are you afraid of? I'm afraid I'm going to... And it's true. First John says, perfect love casts out fear. And Peter is saying, that's why he talks about saying how loved we are in Christ. If I can understand that, if I can understand God's amazing love for me, if I can stop living out of fear, if I can understand that, well, Peter says it this way, that Jesus Christ is Lord. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. If I can know that God's going to take care of me, I don't need to work out of fear. I don't need to be afraid of losing my job. I don't need to be afraid of losing face. I don't need to be afraid of, I, I know that I'm loved. And I can just learn to love in return. I just really want to challenge you on that one. For me, this has been a really big thing of, 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 of saying, you know what? God, help me not to live out of fear. Help me to understand your love so much that I'm not afraid. I, I, I met with Rick Stevenson, pastor from City Hope. Um, he and I had breakfast this week. And, 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 and Rick, I, I mean, I really I respect him and I feel like we have a good relationship. But it's easy to be afraid. I'm afraid I'm going to say something dumb. I'm afraid that, that I, I'm going to miss something. I'm, I'm afraid of just all it. And, and I thought, God, so surround me with your love that I can just be in this relationship, that I can just be there and listen and laugh and learn. We had a great time together. But think about how often you find yourself afraid and then say, God, help me. Help me to remember your perfect love that casts out fear. Okay, all right, let's, let's go on. The third one, be ready to give a reason for why we're still trying. This has been one of the themes that Peter has had throughout this letter, that, that, you know what, we live this way, we keep doing good. Why? So that people, whether they like it or not, they'll at least say, what's up with that? This is what he says here. He says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that you have. Again, Peter's method of evangelism, I think, is not speaking first. It's serving first. It's giving first. It's telling the truth first. It's being, living in, in love, not fear. If we learn to live in love, not fear, Peter says, then be ready to give a reason for that. We've talked about it before, right? Causing curiosity in others, causing others to raise questions. But what I want to challenge you with right now is, is Peter kind of takes it the next step here. And he says, it's one thing to raise the question. Now, are you ready to give an answer? Are you ready to give an answer? Imagine the scenario. Imagine that you go home this afternoon and, and you're taking a walk and one of your neighbors says, you know what? You know this is not a Christian person. So you know what? I just got to tell you, I know there's something different about you. I feel like you have something that I don't. You got 30 seconds. What are you going to do? You're going to say, ah, no, I don't, and keep walking. You're going to say, thanks, uh, nice day, isn't it? Right? I mean, put yourself in that situation. Are you going to be able to hit the ball out of the park? Are you going to at least get a single? The ball is on the tee. It's right there. Somebody has asked you, are you prepared? 30 seconds is all I'm asking. Can you give a 30-second answer? Or are you going to say, um, well, if you want to know about the hope I have, call Daniel from my church. <laughs> He's the outreach pastor, and he'll tell you about what I believe. 
I think it was a prayer of George and I, it's a prayer of Daniel and me, that, that every person in this church, that every one of us can give 30 seconds of just saying, you know, I, I appreciate that. And I've got to tell you, it's, it's just because I, I've discovered how much God loves me. That Jesus died for me. And I know this might sound crazy to you, but that Jesus died for me. And when, when I'm so secure in his love, it just frees me up to start to learn to love others. And, and it's just, for me, it's just this awesome thing to, to learn to love others because of God's love for me. And if you'd like to talk more about it, I'd love to set up a time to have coffee. That much. If you can't do that, would you sit down this afternoon and write it out? Could you, could you just, I mean, be prepared to just say 30 seconds of something. I mean, you don't have to be strong. Peter goes on to say, do this with gentleness and respect. You don't have to get obnoxious with anybody. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. You don't have to say, and you need to accept Jesus right now. No, with kindness and respect. And, and, and so be ready to give a reason. And, and I want to just, this is one of the places where I want to give a little alpha plug. Um, not just for inviting others. It will start again in September. I want to encourage you to invite others to Alpha, but I also want to challenge each of you to think about going yourself. If you say, you know what, I can't give that reason. I, I, I don't have that 30 seconds. Alpha's a great place to have some good food together, but also just to say, I got to get back and understand the basics of Christianity, of who Jesus is and all those things. So I want to challenge you to think about going yourself on Tuesday nights. Even just the first few sessions of, on who is Christ and so on. And just say, you know what, I need that 30 seconds. I need that answer. Peter told me I've got to be ready all the time to give a reason for the hope. All right, we've got to keep moving here. Fourth thing, real quickly, remember that Jesus suffered for us. Uh, we've talked about this quite a bit already, so I'm just going to, 1 Peter 3.18 says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, okay? And, and, and so Peter has said, we do this because Jesus did this. We serve because Jesus served. We die to our spouses. We die to our bosses because Jesus died, okay? We're going to just, we've got to get to this last one. Because Peter, really, for one of the first times in the letter, the very beginning he does this, but then he says, but also remember that Jesus rose, it's not just that Jesus died, he rose, okay? And, and, and I say that because sometimes I think we get into patterns where, where we say, you know, the Christian life is all about dying, and it is. But we forget to say, but it's also about rising from the dead. It's also about victory in Jesus. It's also about celebration. It's also about joy. It's also about new life. I, I mean, Peter says all this, that Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but he was made alive in the spirit, and we celebrate that. And when I want to quit, I want to say, God, help me to keep dying. Because I know that you like to raise dead things. <laughs> so the more I die, the more you get to raise me. And so teach me to die, right? So when I'm feeling that pressure, I say, God. Now, I, I wish Peter, his pen had run dry there. Because the next three verses are, I think, the strangest verses in the New Testament. And it's, I, I know we don't have a lot of time, so I'm just going to do this real quickly. But I just want to do this and, and show them to you because they're very strange, okay? Jesus, you got this, but made alive in the Spirit. And then this, after being made alive, he, Jesus, went and made proclamation. He preached to the imprisoned spirits. What? It's the only, what, what? Jesus somehow, after he rose from the dead, went and preached someplace. This is where our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters talk about purgatory. To those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah. Well, hold on. What about the people who died in the days of Isaiah? 
or Jeremiah. Jesus doesn't preach to them, only to the, what's going on here? Where did Jesus go? Why did he go there? When did he go there? So it was those who were, uh, you know, disobedient in the days of Noah. Well, now it's like stream of consciousness Noah. Oh, the ark, while the ark was being built, okay, in it, in the ark, so he went, Jesus went and he preached to these people in the Noah. Oh, Noah reminds me of the ark, and only a few people, eight and all, were saved through water, a water, and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right, God's right hand with angels' authority and power and submission to him. Friends, those are strange words. Okay? And, and real quickly here, what, what do we do with these strange verses? First of all, what we have to do in a situation like this is just recognize the main point is pretty clear, that God's power brings life out of death. That's what he's talking about, that we can keep doing good. We can keep serving and dying and giving because Jesus rose from the dead, because Noah was saved through the waters of death, because baptism symbolizes how we are saved through the waters of death and sin, because Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. So, so basically what he's saying is keep doing good because God can bring new life. But we have to just recognize sometimes we just don't know what the Bible is saying. Okay, it's my job to try to explain it to you. I have no idea what this means. And if we're honest, nobody really knows. It's interesting to speculate. I've said before, and I've showed you this map, that the people in the pink there, that's their, Peter's writing from Rome to the people who are in that pink area. Now, I, I, maybe somewhere we'll find something that will explain this. But for some odd reason, the people in that area were obsessed with Noah and the ark. They just, they loved to tell Noah and the ark stories. Then the non-Jewish people, the non-Christian people, they loved Noah and the ark story. So maybe Peter is doing this. In, in fact, this is a coin that was just a, uh, not too long after Peter wrote this letter. That's Noah and his wife coming out of the ark. Um, and, and, and so for some reason, these people were obsessed about, maybe some story there will come to light and we'll go, oh, this is what Peter is talking about. These people were thinking, but at this point, I don't know where Peter went, who he preached to, and what he said to them. Okay, it's just odd. And sometimes we look at verses and we say, we got the main point, but the details, friends, you want to talk about it for an hour, really, I'd be happy to, it's fun. I can give you a bunch of different theories. If you want to, give me a call, we'll have coffee. But sometimes we just have to recognize, again, the main point is clear. God's power brings life out of death, all right? So don't don't stop doing good, okay? Sometimes people will like it, sometimes they won't. But no matter what, no matter what, know that you're blessed. Know that, that, that you don't have to live out of fear. You can live out of love. Keep doing good, whether people like it or not, all right? Let's, let's pray together. Father, this is, uh, it's, it's not easy to keep doing good. We get tired of it, especially when people don't seem to appreciate it, and it's, it's difficult. And so uh, we just pray right now that you will, you will help us by your Spirit to do good even when people are not good to us. Some of us are going to go into work situations tomorrow where we have somebody, an authority over us who's just not going to treat us well, or we have colleagues, or we have school friends, or guys on the team, or, or other girls on the teams that practice, and Lord, help us just to keep doing good, whether they like it or not. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you please stand to receive God's parting word of blessing? Before I give that word of blessing, um, this is going to be a unique morning for all of you. Um, Maybe you heard rumblings after the first service. A couple of months ago, we did a fire drill with the kids. 
Well, we want to do one with everybody. So what's going to happen in just a minute is I'm going to give a benediction, and you're going to hear the alarm go off. And what we want to know are two things. First of all, how quickly can we get everybody out of the building? Okay? Don't run, but do hurry. Kids are going to go out that door, that door, and that door. You can go out any doors, but again, don't, uh, don't run over kids. That's not a good thing, okay? Um, and, uh, and, and, and so what we want to know is how long does it take us? And then the second thing um, we want to do is you pick up your kids on the front lawn. You'll need your tags. We want to make sure that we can get all the kids to the right parents and so on, okay? So we'll go out. You can go through the prayer room. You can go through the kitchen doors. You can go out those side doors there. But we're going to see how long it takes to get everybody out. Let's be uh, patient about that and so on. Um, and that will happen after that. Now, when that's done, you can come back in. Two minutes, three minutes is what it'll take. You can come back in, get coffee. Thad will be here. Be some people praying for Alpha in the room over there. Uh, prayer room folks might be here. Um, yeah, invite you to say goodbye to Tyler and so on. But, all right, there we go. There we, I'll do the benediction, and then we will leave. People of God, as you prepare to hear a loud noise, know that even in the midst of a loud world, God is good. And may we be good to those people, whether they like it or not. Go in God's grace. Amen.